0: Uh, in about nine days, got kind of a big deal going on in this country, right? Just a little bit of a big deal, right? Um, there's, there's an election, and we are going to be electing the next president of the United States, whoever that would be. And so I've been doing a little bit of teaching over the last about month on really this country and the foundations that made us great. And today's going to be the last installment. I wanted to make sure that I, um, I gave it to you with time that if somebody wasn't able to be here, that you could take this last disc or any of the discs and give them to somebody if you know that they needed to be here and needed to hear this. Um, and that we would just have the opportunity to have kind of a week of grace so that we could make sure that anyone who needed this information could receive it. So let's, uh, let's go to Psalm 33 and verse 12. Psalm 33. In verse 12. I am reading today from the New American Standard. It says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. I want to talk to you for a little bit today about the miracle of America. Modern humanists which would be the majority of secular society, have wanted to bring the United States and the concept of this great country down to um, really the product of enlightened humanity. They've wanted to reduce this nation and the principles that it was founded on of liberty and justice for all, of freedom and, and, and the pursuit of happiness, they have wanted to reduce all of those, those great philosophies to just simply the product of enlightened people, educated minds. And in order to do that, they have had to remove God from our history. The problem with that, my brothers and sisters and fellow Americans, is that if there was no God, there would be no history of the United States. The United States would literally not exist. God was such an obvious element in our history that on the way to his inauguration, Abraham Lincoln stopped to speak to the Senate of the state of New Jersey. And in that address, he said this. This is a quote. I am exceedingly anxious that this union, the Constitution, and the liberties Of the people shall be perpetuated in accordance with the original idea for which that struggle was made. And I be most happily indeed if I shall be a humble instrument in the hands of the Almighty. And of this his almost chosen people for the perpetuating of the object of this great struggle." Abraham Lincoln saw such an activity of God in the history of this country that he says something amazing. He calls us the almost chosen people. Now all of you in here who are regular churchgoers, and some of you maybe who aren't will know that God's chosen people, the nation that was chosen by him, was the nation of Israel. And God has historically moved in power. For that nation, uh, even in the last fifty years, during the six day war there 's accounts of of literally angels flying over the troops of Israel that when the Arab nations saw the angels, they turned and ran. God fought for Israel at that time. And what I want you to understand, Abraham Lincoln saw so much activity in the history of this country that though we were not written about in Scripture, he called us the almost chosen people. I think that in many ways, you can see how, how just on just a basic level, we are not a normal nation. It's cool that we've got people... From all different ethnicities in this room. We've got a whole bunch of white folks. We've got a couple of us kind of little darker complected folks. Um, there's some other. And even some of our white folks like Pastor Glenn are a little darker complected. We won't, we won't wonder why that is. We won't go there. Um, but whether you are African American or you are... As, you know, if you're so white, you're clear. God died for you. And in in, in this nation, what's unique about America is that that we reflect in some ways the church. We are not built on an ethnicity or a tribe. We are built on a, 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 a bringing together of people out of all nations that came together to form one people. But that is just the smallest, I want you to hear this, that is the smallest part of why Abraham Lincoln would say what he said. The reason is that the truth is that America is a a miracle, and therefore the product of God that is formed for his purposes. It is my hope that today, that your eyes will be re-enlightened to the vision For a nation that God created us to be. And to rekindle a passion that will push us forward in the struggle to become who we are called to be as a people. Today we're going to talk about the miracle of America. And we're going to talk about it through three and a half, maybe four miracles. The first one all of us are very familiar with. The first winner in the new world... The pilgrims were desperate. They had arrived on November 11th, 1620, right on the very edge of a very harsh New England winter. There was no time to reap a harvest. There was no time to stockpile. There was simply time to wait out the winter that was coming. And by its end, 45 of the 102 pilgrims that had made the journey the journey across the Atlantic had died. Literally, the, the pilgrims were desperate. They believed, many of them believed, that they had to. It wasn't a question that they had to return to Europe. That this, this little venture, this little experiment had failed. But the leaders were praying that somehow God would rescue them. That he would allow for his, his provision to come and that he would allow them to remain in this land And it was around that time that a young American Indian brave named Squanto came into their lives. How many of you know the legend of Squanto? Fewer and fewer of us. Uh, Our kids have probably never heard of it. Squanto was a man. He was an American Indian who, who taught the pilgrims how to fertilize the soil. And how to grow corn. Which would end up becoming their staple through the years to come. But what is most amazing, and this is something I need you to pay attention to, because if you don't listen to this very next line, you're going to miss the whole miracle, okay? Is that here they are, starved to death. There's 45 that have died. Almost half of their people are dead. And out of the woods walks this young Indian brave. But what's the most amazing thing about it is this. He comes to them speaking English. Squanto came speaking English. It makes no sense, right? I mean, how could that happen? These are the first permanent settlers in the United States in that region. But what's amazing is when you, when you read Squanto's story, his, his given name when he was born was Disquantum. He was born in the area of Plymouth, Massachusetts. And in 1605, he was captured with four other braves, and sold as slaves in Spain. And one, one of the, uh, the, the groups that bought Squanto, the, the, the group that bought Squanto was actually a group of Franciscan friars. Who didn't want a slave, they wanted to just buy his freedom. But in that they taught him, he had learned English on the boat over, but they had taught him Spanish. And they also taught him how this man Jesus came and died for his sins. And introduced him to the faith of Christianity. Squanto persuaded those friars to set him free. And to let him go back home. And after many years of trying. He secures a trip. And ends up back in the same area of Plymouth, Massachusetts. As we know it today. Only to find his, his village decimated by sickness. That literally his entire village had died of some plague a number of years earlier. And that was in 1619, two years before the pilgrims arrived. See, he was alone, but he was home. He was home, but he had no one to share it with. All of the reasons, all of the desires that drove him back to that place were gone, except that he found this fledgling group of white people who needed his help. They needed him, but he needed them too. And after only about a year of being with them, Squanto had had taught them all that they needed to know to survive. And amazingly, after only that year and a couple months, Squanto died. He was buried at Burial Hill in Chathamport. At the head of Riders Cove. I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this really clearly. I want you to understand how powerful this is. God literally answered the pilgrims' prayers for their salvation and their provision. So they could stay in this country 15 years before they even arrived. Isn't that incredible? See, God wanted a nation settled by Christians. Not just a a bunch of people here to to gain wealth. Not just a group of people here to, to expand an empire. But a group of people here devoted to worshiping the king. And worshiping him in the confines of what the gospel presented. And that meant so much to the Lord that 15 years earlier, he provides for a young man to learn the language and to be their savior when they come. It's astounding to me that the miracle of Squanto is how this starts off. It's how this nation begins. But it's not how it ends. The next miracle I want to talk to you about is the miracle of the Constitution. I know I talked about the Constitution in the very beginning of this. The Constitutional Convention was in 1787, from May 25th to September 17th of that year. They met in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, just about three hours from here. But during that time, there was a lot of tension. The 13 colonies that had become states had sent their representatives to that convention, and it was just gridlocked with disagreement. What's amazing is that after two, excuse me, after one full month, Benjamin Franklin said this, I take that back, because it is after two months, I apologize. On July 28th, 1787, he said this, he asked that they come back into their discussions of the political assignments and, and the constitution of this nation, what it would look like, He said, we've got to come back and every morning begin with prayer. Now, what's important to understand is that Benjamin Franklin was the least religious guy in the room. Benjamin Franklin, folks, was a known hedonist. If you don't know what that means, it means uh, hedonism is like the pleasures of the flesh. Benjamin Franklin was known for liking a little alcohol and a lot of women. i let that sink in because I don't think you got it yet. <laughs> he, was, he was the least religious person in that room that day. But he said that we have got to begin with prayer. I want to read just a little bit of his statement that was made that July 28th. He said, in this situation of this assembly, groping as if it were in the dark to find political truth and scarce able to distinguish it when it when, to us, how it has happened, sir, that we have not hereto once thought of humbly applying to the Father of lights to illuminate our understandings. And he said this, I have lived, sir, a long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs the affairs of men and if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, it is probable that an empire cannot rise without his aid. Less than two months later, they spend two months in gridlock. Nothing is getting done. They're completely polarized. Less than two months later, the Constitution was submitted for signing on September 17th, 1787. You see, God was seen in the eyes of even the least religious person in the room as the most important factor. If you read the full speech, he talks about how they saw him move in the Revolutionary War, how they saw his protection and his provision, and how can we go on and expect that we'll be able to generate a constitution of law that will govern this nation that God established without him. God wanted this nation ruled by a constitution founded on his word. Bless you. The last miracle I'm going to talk to you about, and it's maybe two miracles. And some of you will have heard this before if you heard me speak regarding the traveler's gift. But I want to talk to you about the miracle of maintaining the union and its incredible effects on the world afterward. Joshua Chamberlain was a professor of rhetoric and a school teacher. He was not a trained soldier. But he was put as the captain over the 20th of Maine regiment in the Civil War. On July 2nd, 1863 in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, the Battle of Gettysburg was raging. And Colonel Vincent placed chamberlain and the 300 men of the 20th Maine at the end of the line and they said whatever you do you can't let them through here if the confederates overrun them they would have the high ground and 80,000 men would be caught between a downhill charge and the advancing enemy and they would have no protection literally the confederate army would win the war To the rebel forces, this was the prize. And it looked as though there was no way that it could happen, that he would win this battle. Chamberlain knew that he could not retreat, but he also knew that the odds were incredibly stacked against him. At 2.30 that afternoon, the first charge came, and they pushed it back. They did the same for the second and third charges later that day. In the fourth charge, Joshua Chamberlain took a bullet directly onto the buckle of his belt and kept fighting. That morning, they had started with 300 men. By the time that fourth charge ends, they have 80. Joshua Chamberlain gives the order to his subordinates to check for ammunition. The report comes back, we're out. He says, check the dead. For ammunition. We're still out. Joshua's brother comes up to him as they begin to hear the rumblings of, of the next charge, the fifth charge about to come. And he says, Joshua, you have got to give an order. It is reported that Joshua Chamberlain sat there. He thought in his mind, he said, We can't retreat and we can't stay here. And so he gives the order. He says, Fix bayonets. And prepare to execute a great right wheel. And for those of us who may not come from military backgrounds, a great white wheel is a full out charge. As the rebels began to charge up the hill, Chamberlain stepped up on the rock and began to yell, Charge! 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 The shocked rebel armies stopped. Stopped where they were, and those soldiers spun on their heels and ran in retreat. In less than ten minutes, Chamberlain had hit the blade of his sword on the collarbone of the rebel commander and he said, sir, you are my prisoner. He replied, yes I am, and handed over a loaded pistol to a man without a bullet in surrender. That day, The Union won the war, though there was no possible way for them to do so. It was like D-Day for World War II, where after D-Day, we knew that the Allies were going to take Europe and therefore win World War II. It just took some time to unfold. It was that same way at Gettysburg. Later, as Joshua Chamberlain served as governor of Maine, he received a letter from a man who had been in the confederate army that day in the infantry and he wrote him and said that three different times he had joshua chamberlain in his sights that he was about to pull the trigger and literally felt that he could not pull it he said he chided himself for his own fear and timidity and when he began to pull it again he felt like the lord said don't shoot that man. God protected Joshua Chamberlain that day because God needed this union to be maintained. This is incredible because what we don't know and what we didn't know up until just the last few years is that because of the United States being the United States We became a force for change in this whole world. And the magnitude of that will just strike you in just a moment if you'll just stick with me. You see, historians tell us that if the South had won the Civil War, that slavery would not have only just continued, but instead of it being a united Southern nation, they would have been basically states, nation states, similar to how Europe is today in the European Union. Where there's all these independent nations that make up this union of the United States of of Europe. Had the South won, there would not be a united South. It would have been fragmented. And what's amazing is that when we fast forward about 80 years, World War II breaks out. And and the Axis powers of Japan and Germany are fighting two wars. They're fighting the European wars, which is primarily with Germany and then also Italy and and, um, others. And then you have the Pacific War, which is Japan and their navy and their air force fighting on the Pacific side. There are two distinct wars going on. And when the United States entered the war on December 17th, or excuse me, December 7th, 1941, they fought the wars, hear this, this is important, on both sides. They fought on the European front and on the Pacific front. Now, what's important to understand is this. Had the South won the Civil War, there would be no nation in the world with enough people, wealth, and strength of resources to fight and win two wars on two fronts at the same time. Now I want you to grasp this because this is really important. Germany and Japan would have won if the United States wasn't there to fight. The only reason that we are not speaking German today is because one man was protected and led by God to preserve a whole nation and move us forward in the purposes of God. Right now, the world would be a very different place had one man standing defenseless on a hill in Gettysburg not decided to act in the purposes and plans of God. God wanted this nation preserved. God has always preserved and promoted this nation Because he has always been the God of this people until now. And this is what we need to understand. Students, young people, old people, and everybody in between. The liberal agenda, the liberal media, liberal academia, all of your educators, largely, have tried to remove God from our natural, national history. They want to limit the existence of the United States to the product of an evolved humanity and the liberation of the human spirit. But without God, literally, there is no history of America because there is no America without Jesus. He has continually stepped in and guided this nation. And we need to understand that as we are looking at the things that are going on around us. And as we are considering who we might vote for over the next few days. That we are deciding the course that this nation would take for the next four and more likely eight years. And the question that we have to ask is, where is that candidate going to take us? Now, I will, I will say this, and I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, and I'm not going to tell you who I'm voting for, because um, honestly, both of them got issues, right? <laughs> I was teasing somebody and said that uh, if, if Trump gets elected, that you know, as soon as he starts talking crazy... That um, that the Secret Service should just have like a set order that as soon as he starts talking crazy that they tackle him and uh, that they just that they just dismiss it as as another attempt on the president's life. Um, somebody in the media will say, well, that was like the fourth time this week. We say, no, we know he's really a hot commodity right now. They're, uh, they're after him big time. Um, both of our candidates are lacking in, in many ways that we wish that they weren't. But the reality is this, and I'm not here to determine for you what that would look like, but you need to ask where is that person taking us and who actually has the potential maybe not, it's not there yet but it has the potential to become the person who would lead us forward into the place that God has for us you see my my purpose in preaching this message is twofold in fact my purpose for preaching this whole series has been primarily twofold. I want to introduce you to the miraculous history that stands behind the founding and maintaining of this great country. I want you to know that that in very real, tangible ways, we can point back to the hand of God that has guided and led us as a people and promoted us as a nation. From Squanto to Joshua Chamberlain at Gettysburg and its effects on World War II, God is guarded and guided this nation to be a force for change in the world. We were the first democracy republic, democratic republic. This nation has also been a force for the kingdom. This country has sent out more money and more missionaries than any nation in the history of the world. Any move of God that's going on in the world today emanates out of The giving of our American church and the sending of American missionaries, whether that's in Korea or that's in Africa or that's in China, wherever it is, it is because of the work that we have done as a nation, sending out people, being a force for the kingdom of God for change. That is the first reason I wanted to tell you about this. I want you to see that this is more than just some country. America has been an instrument in the hand of God For over 240 years. But I also want to call us to cherish this nation and to bring us back to greatness. In the first message I preached in this series, I talked about we the people. I say that unlike any other nation in the world, the American people have a direct effect on who we become as a nation. And I want you to hear this very clearly because if our flag is tarnished, if the fabric of this old glory, as our flag is called, is diminished, it is only because the radiance of each heart has dimmed and the threat of each life has become tarnished by sin and darkness. It is time for us to become the people that God has called us to be, that we might become the nation That God created us to be. Church has got to be more than just about feeling good. It's got to be about how we live, where we go, what we do, who we become, and what we emanate out of our very being. We have got to determine that just living a good life is not good enough. That it is time for the the gospel to live in us in a way that the light of Jesus shines wherever we go. That we become people of change because we're people that are changed. But that starts with a decision. For everybody that was saved in this room, if you've ever come to know Jesus Christ as Lord, it started one day when you decided to change. When you heard a message that pricked your heart and you thought that maybe somehow there was more to life than what you've been living and you got a hold of what God wanted and you came and you gave yourself to him. It started with a choice. And I know we're a little church in the middle of the hills of Pennsylvania. I know the population better than you do. Trust me, I looked at it before I came here the first time. <laughs> and Denise is like, we're going anyway. Because to be honest, initially, I didn't know if I fit here. Because I'm a little darker than you. <laughs> that dark. Not that dark. <laughs> I had, I, uh, the, my predecessor was darker than me. <laughs> you see, this is the thing, though. God has always started with a small group of people. He starts with 12 apostles that the Bible says turn the world upside down. He starts in an upper room with 120 that receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and go out staggering out of an upper room, speaking in tongues, and they're going, these folks are drunk. He said, these folks aren't drunk like you think they are. They've been drinking, but not of the wine you thought of. this is a new wine. This is the spirit of God poured out. This is the promise of the Father fulfilled. This is that what was spoken by the prophet Joel. It always starts with the small number of people who've decided that they're going to get what God has for them. That they're going to become who God created them to be, and they're not going to settle for just simply living their lives the way they did before. That they are going to change the world. And I don't care how small we are or where we are geographically. If God starts a fire in New Life Church or if he starts a fire in Canton tonight, if he lights a passion in this community, we can be a force of change in this whole nation if we choose to be. But we have got to determine that that's what we're going to do. We have got to stop being content with just simply going through the motions. It is not enough for you to pay your tithes once a week. I'm glad you do. But honey, we've got a world to save. We have got to determine that we will become the people that God made us to be that I will be that person. And if I can link with David and Pastor Glenn and Will and Susan and Betty and Junior and whoever else is back, Gare, the Graces, and if I can link with them and we can just determine in our own selves that we will become those people, then we can link. And we can begin to just join And let our light begin to shine together. And let the passion and the fire of the Spirit begin to break out. But we have got to decide it. We have got to determine that we want to be blessed as a people, as a person, and as a nation. Because blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Folks, I lay before you a choice. I lay before you a choice to just live the way you lived. How's that working for you? Or to live in the midst of his passion, fulfilling your purpose in this life. Because those are your two choices. Whether you're a sinner or a saint, whether you repented of your sins or not, you can still live comfortable and just check the box, went to church, check the box, prayed this morning, check the box, read my Bible. Or you can say, I am going to change my world today. It starts with a choice. Just receive this in your spirit.